welcome to Terry's Doing It podcast. You know, this podcast isn't really about me doing things, although sometimes you'll hear some stories. It's about other people. And the purpose of the podcast is to expose you to people whose passion and appetite for doing whatever is on their heart is really large. I want to encourage you to live large too. I want to encourage you to just go out and do those things that make your heart happy. I have this podcast and right now I plan to publish a minimum of once a month and we'll have some bonus episodes too. But I also publish a newsletter. I'm a writer. I have been for many years, both professionally and for fun. And I have this blog, a newsletter now, www.terrymurison.com. You can subscribe, and I really encourage you to do that because there you'll have access to lots and lots of stories about doing it, things that also should inspire you. In the meantime, I am so glad that you found this uh, this what do I call it? A podcast? I want to call it a blog. I'm sorry. I'm very new to this, but I promise you I'm a quick study. I've learned fast and over time, this will be a lot more po polished. In the meantime, today's guest is really fascinating. You're going to love the time that you get to spend and the way that it makes you feel, the hope that it gives you. Without any further ado, this is today's guest. Enjoy. Hi there. Joining me today is Cedric Noafor, the founder of Roots Africa. It's a nonprofit uh, that's dedicated to addressing hunger through education and agricultural entrepreneurship. Welcome, Cedric. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to finally make it here. I am really glad to have you. Uh, the purpose of Terry's Doing It podcast are to highlight uh, people who are doing it, other people besides me, people that are passionate and they get out there and they seize the day and make things happen because they probably couldn't live with themselves if they didn't. Does that description fit you and why or why not? <laughs> I, I think so. Um, and when I look back, um, coming from Africa, I always sit in the U.S. and think, man, if they could give some of the opportunities that I have now, the people that I know, the knowledge that I've received to so some of my friends back home, I know they will do 10 times better than me. So, yes, I cannot live with myself uh, if I'm not trying to be the best version of myself each and every day. That's awesome, Cedric, and I do see the best version of you. I think that's pretty amazing. Um, I've known you for a few years now, uh, but I did get to know you much better on a trip that we took to Uganda last spring. Uh, let's look at a clip from the trip. Yeah. 
Well, I think uh, people have gotten a pretty good view of what it's like to travel with you and the Roots Africa team. It was certainly about the most fun trip that I've ever had. Um, if I had to describe you uh, in a handful of terms, never full, always hungry is one of them, as we saw in the video. Um, so we've talked about our experiences from childhood that lead us to our passions and callings as adults. Is it fair to say that hunger was a motivator for you? Absolutely, absolutely. That has um, been a key theme um, in my life. I, I will take you back a little bit and talk a little bit about my relationship to food. Yeah. Uh, so food has made me to do very interesting things. Um, there was one time that I almost became a priest um, because of food. So um, when during my bapt during my first Holy Communion in the Catholic Church, my when we were about to receive uh, communion, the priest asked, like, hey, who wants to be a priest? And I was the first person that stood up. And um, nobody understood why I was so excited to become a priest. Um, but the reason was because every day when I was heading to school, um, I would smell this amazing fried omelet coming from the priest's house. And I would smell that, that omelet and I'd be like, man, if I could have that. And to myself, I'm telling myself, if I could just, if I become a priest, then I get to eat egg like that. And imagine a hungry kid going to school every morning and smelling amazing egg. That inspired me to want to become a priest. One time, I almost became a Muslim because of food. Uh, because <laughs> during Ramadan, um, we have um, some of our neighbors that will stay hungry the whole day, and then at night, they'll have the most lavish feast ever. And so I'm like, man, I would stay hungry to just eat as well as they did, um, not knowing the importance of fasting and all of those. Um, and I'm sure if I had Jewish friends around me, I would have probably become a, because wanted to become a Jew as well. So that just tells you about uh, my experience with hunger um, and the drive for change that you would see in the work that I do and um, why I would find people like you as well that are looking for ways in which they can make the world a better place. But yes, back to your question. Food and hunger are a critical part of my journey and a deeper reason to why I am driven to the work that we do. So we're we're laughing because you present it very humorously, but I think that very few of us really understand what it is to be hungry. What is that like? I mean, really a, hungry. Yeah, to be really hungry, it means... Um, you go back to the basics, right? I normally tell people that um, a lot of times there is this saying, mostly in Africa, I've not heard it a lot in the US, but it says um, money is the root of all evil. Um, but for me, I think food or the lack of food is the root of all evil. Um, back in Cameroon, I went to a boarding school. And in that boarding school, I experienced hunger, nothing like Nothing like I cannot even, I, I don't think if you haven't gone through it, you will not understand it. Um, I used to go out into the community, into the villages and beg for food uh, just to eat. And while I was there, I was not the only one that went through that ordeal. My classmates went through the same thing. And I, in that atmosphere, I got to judge each and every one of them and 
my perception of them. And the main perception was I knew people that were thieves. I knew people that were liars. I knew people that I knew the worst of them. But when we left that boarding school, went back home, um, I started meeting with these individuals and they were the opposite of what I thought they would be. Um, I met with one that was normally selfish and he chose to pay my transport without me asking. And he started questioning a lot of my assumption about who they are as people. And the only thing that had changed is that we were back home now. We could guarantee our next meal. We're no longer hungry. And so I realized that when you are hungry, there are things that you do that are counter to what your best self would have done. And now you take this back to a kid like myself, growing up, hungry each and every day. What happens when they see food? They're going to hoard as much as possible. They're going to try to grab as much as possible. And if you try to get in the way of their food or their resource, they're going to hurt you. So now when that kid grows up, when that kid grows up and is in the position of power, they're going to do what they've done every day. A hungry kid is going to hoard as much as possible, steal as much as possible, and oh, hurt anyone that tries to get in their way. If they do not have power, they're going to find ways to get, to get resources and they may steal and they may, the worst may come out of them. So when a community or a country grows up hungry, you are building a hungry nation. You're building a community that will bring out the worst out of people. So um, that experience to me really dictates my deeper why in, as, as to the focus on hunger and the focus on making sure that people can guarantee their next meal um, overall. So not sure if I answered your question specifically, but I just wanted to take you back and kind of like show the correlation between food and how we end up in a society that's corrupt or uh, violent and all of those. You know, I think that's so important. You quote Martin Luther King a lot with his audacious goal. And I wonder if he saw that too. Can you, can you share that goal with us? Yep, um, that quote is, I have the audacity to believe that people everywhere can have three meals a day for their bodies. Um, culture, huh, I'm forgetting pieces of it. Um, but basically, the, the piece is we, we have the right to have three meals a day, that we need to have our own culture, our own mindset, and that this is not so, something that it, it's, it's audacious, but it's just the bare minimum for each individual um, to have. So, and you um, call it a human right. Yes, yes, yes. It is food as a human right. And you remember in Uganda, yes. um, when we attended that conference, um, the agenda basically changed because food became the main topic um, and, and everyone could correlate and agree to that, that um, having food is just a basic human right for everyone. Yeah. That, that's really true. Um, so I'm curious to know what led you, what was your path to form Roots Africa? Because I think you and somebody else founded it, but it sprang from the two of you. It didn't just you didn't inherit it. Yes, yes. Um, so I grew up in Cameroon and um, growing up in Cameroon, we had six farms. We worked on these farms each and every day. But despite all of the hard work that we put in, there were still days when we could not guarantee our next meal. And my mom, being a woman of faith, would always say God will provide. 
And while I did believe in that, I also thought nobody that worked as hard as we did, right? Uh, in the US, they tell you if you work hard enough, you're going to make it. Um, I used to think nobody that worked as hard as you did, as we did, should have to go to bed hungry. So fast forward a few years later, um, I made it to the US um, and I was working at the Holiday Inn um, as a bellman. In Washington, DC. Yeah, in Washington, yeah. D.C., yeah. yeah. So while while in D.C., um, and, and, and really my journey started working in restaurants, uh, washing dishes, um, working in housekeeping. And then when I worked in housekeeping, I, my biggest dream at that point was to work at the front desk. And But to make it to the front desk, I had to um, be a bellman first to showcase my skill sets, like, oh, I can make it to the front desk. So as a bellman... It so happened in 2014 that we had um, some guests from Idaho and um, they came at a very interesting time when we had completely renovated our eighth floor of the hotel. So it was brand new. That renovation had not taken place in quite, I think, about 20 years. So it was brand new. The rooms were beautiful. So we had this group of guests that came in and... Um, I met them, and one of them, the, the leader of the group, Rick Whitley and Dorita, they had the opportunity to be the first guests to not only stay on in those rooms, but on that floor. So it was an exciting moment for me to get to be the one to show them their room. So we leave, we are heading upstairs. Um, I'm talking to them about my background um, from Cameroon, why I'm here, and all of those, and sharing my excitement about the room that they're about to go into um, because it's, it's, it, 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 to us, it's beautiful um, since we've never seen rooms like that since we've been at the hotel. So I go in there, put in their luggage, um, showed them the room, came back out. And um, once I got downstairs, I got a call um, and they said they have no closet in the room. And the front desk agent at the time was like, oh, please go show them the closet. They're not just, they don't know that there is a closet, so just go show them. So here I am walking upstairs to just go and prove them wrong that there is no way, there is no closet in the room. And, um, be, and, and let me just go back and say why in our heads it's impossible. Um, first, we, when the construction folks complete the room, their managers come and review it. Um, housekeeping comes and then gives the clearance. Housekeeping comes and um, housekeeping comes and, and and checks the room to clean it and make sure that it's ready. Um, the senior managers or the managers of the hotel comes and looks at the room because they have to sign a contract. Like yes, this is done and is and and your obligation to us is over. So um, all of those steps had to take place. Um, for the room to be handed over. So I'm going up there to show them that, hey, there is a closet. And then I go up there and it's a sealed wall. <laughs> there is no door to the closet. In Rick room. Yes, Rick Wendley. And Rick Wendley is, attention to detail is his yes. thing. <laughs> so we we go, I am here I am, I'm so embarrassed. I'm like, I'm so sorry, we'll find you a different room. and. Um, I called the front desk. The front desk could not believe it. Um, so we found them a different room um, after quite a few apologies. Um, that's where a friendship just really began. 
and um, they asked about my experience in Cameroon. I asked, I heard about what they were doing here in in DC, um, and 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 they asked me if I've ever heard about Idaho. And and by then, all I knew about Idaho was just like mountains of French fries. Like there was nothing else. So um, they told me, hey, um, you should come to Idaho. Come and see this other side of agriculture. And so I made it to Idaho. Um, one of the highlights of my life or career, um, stayed with different farmers, um, seeing this other side of agriculture that I'd never seen before, um, and just learning overall uh, from this different individual. And um, I was on one of these farms, and the farmer by the name Drew was showing me his farm, and I was watching as this tractor was tilling the soil for about five minutes. And at that moment, it dawned on me that the amount of time it took for that tractor to till the soil for five minutes was equivalent to the amount of time my whole family worked for a week. And that tractor really became a symbol of resources, expertise, know-how that if connected in a meaningful way to the African continent, it would help elevate farmers out of hunger and poverty. So that's why I left and came back to um, DC, enrolled at the University of Maryland with one goal in mind to connect students, experts here in the US to farming communities in Africa. So that's how Roots Africa started. Wow, that is a badge of honor for Idaho to have really to have been the Kickstarter for such no, a The honor is all mine. I think they're just incredible um, people and individuals in Idaho that all they want to do is give and make the world a better place in different ways. And then when you look at it, and, and, and Terry, I'm sure you do saw this in Uganda, at its core, no matter where you are as a farmer, there is something that is, diff that is the same that cuts across a farmer. A farmer in the US or a farmer in Africa, we share this common thread um, of resiliency, of kindness, of generosity, of community that you see cuts across, um, that I see in my mom, the same way I'll see in Rick or I'll see in any farmer that I meet in Idaho. So that common thread is what I think really is cutting across continents and oceans um, overall. That is so true. Um, I've lived in other states and known other farmers and they're very similar uh, to yeah. the farmers that I know here. So uh, Cedric, Tell me then about Roots Africa. What's its structure like? How are you changing the world with Roots Africa? So um, Roots Africa is, is interesting. We are almost probably 100% volunteer base, um, mostly. Um, You're so a volunteer. They, yes, yes. Yeah. So a lot of us were, were basically 100% volunteer base. Uh, we're are, you happy still a bell man? are you still a bellman too? No, 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 I've moved on. <laughs> moved on from that role. I work, um, I, I do consulting for a lot of tech companies at this point, uh, supporting them build their teams. Um, so that's what I- It's a hard job. Oh yeah, 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 it's not. <laughs> it's not an easy job. But it, it's fun in the sense that it allows you to meet incredible people. If I had come into the US and I was sitting in an office, I would have not met Rick, I would have not met LIA and my life will be completely different um, at this point in time. So um, it's a blessing to have been on that journey and that path um, overall. Yeah. But um, uh, Roots Africa, they, 
we are mostly volunteer based and what we do is our theory is that if we can provide young agricultural students in agricultural institutions in Africa with the tools, resources, guidance, and structure, they will be able to go out and transform their communities. That's, that's the simple premise. And we do this in so many ways. Uh, one, we provide them with mentorship. When Terry was, when you were with us, you got to see some of the interaction between mentors and mentees. Um, two, we provide them with some small token of funds to support them with their bare needs to provide this training. It could be buying writing materials. It could be buying post-it post notes. It could be transportation to the farming community, but nothing that is compared to the work that they do for the community. We provide them with a six weeks um, intensive bootcamp where they get to train how to approach farmers, how to approach communities, how to approach challenges as well, and how they could leverage technology in supporting farmers in their communities. Uh, but most of this- Is that online or is that in person? So it's a combination of both. Most of the trainings will be done online. Uh, so they'll join Zoom and go through this training. However, in each of the institution or in most of the institutions where we work, we have a student club. And this student club would either receive training from us or training within their institutions. And they have to continuously support their communities and build a venture that is sustainable. Mm -hmm. So. Um, while they will go through this online training, we find targeted way in which they could build their skills within their campuses um, as well. Um, so when they go through the six weeks program, we start providing we start providing monthly trainings um, based on what they are seeing on the field, based on the challenges that they are facing. We get to like support them in that way. Um, once they after the six weeks training. Each change maker has to go out and train at least 10 farmers. That's the minimum. On average, when you put it out, um, each change maker trains about 20 farmers overall. If there's been an evolution in the program, at first it was just about training farmers. Later on, it's about training farmers to increase yields. And then right now it's training farmers to increase their income, but with the caveat, we want to not only train farmers, but we want to see training farmers as the business. So a change maker going to a farmer could say to the farmer, hey, I could connect you to markets. All what I'll need is 5% after you do the sale. Or this is my group of farmers. I will, you can give me a fee of $2 and I'll be providing you training. I'll link you to markets and all of those. We want to ensure that within the training of farmers, the change makers can somewhat sustain or support them to provide those trainings to their farmers. So it has been a program that has been evolving and, and, and continuous, and, 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 and we continue to learn better ways of doing what we do. So in a nutshell, that's what Roots Africa is um, overall. We connect experts here in the US to change makers. We send those change makers out to train farmers. So I have heard you say many times, Africa doesn't need charity, it needs change makers. What's a change maker? Yeah, a change maker is a young, vibrant um, agricultural student that has the determination to improve their community. So a lot of times um, we have programs that would 
try to go into the continent and provide solutions to challenges that they've studied and seen that there, there is a challenge. How And most often they are right. It's a challenge and probably their solution is right as well um, because they've dedicated a lot of time and resources in developing it. Um, some of them will try to also build a sustainability plan to make sure that it lasts a long time. But one, their sustainability plans are costly for somebody to be in country to implement. Um, two, um, sometimes they leave and hope that those solutions stay. Um, and then three, um, a lot of times they do not understand the context of that community. For us, we are saying that the youth are the key to the future, that they have the capacity to be that change. And sometimes they, they have that capacity and sometimes they even, they even just need permission. They, they, it feels like they're waiting for permission because these, these students with the age of technology, all of them almost have smartphones. So they can research things. So knowledge is no longer as big of a barrier as it is. What they need is nurturing and guidance. And most of them, they've studied from agricultural institution that understands the complexities of their community. And third, they are from communities that, they are from their own community. So they understand the challenges way better than any expert could ever understand those challenges. We think that empowering them giving them the tools, giving them the resources is the main way in which you can build sustainable growth. And that's why we are trying to see how do we give them a business model within that training so that as they are in their communities, they can see a viable career path being change makers. And that's why we say, yes, we'll stay asking for donations, we'll stay asking for support, but we are not asking you for support to give up to eat today. We are saying, hey, give us this and we will teach all of these people how to fish. That's why we say we do not need charity, but we need change makers that will change our communities. So yeah, so that's why Africa needs charity and not change makers. And need change makers are not charity. So I don't think that's a very common approach uh, no. from a lot of charities anywhere. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's different. Um, because it's it's a VUCA wall. It's a complex, it's a volatile wall. There is no straight path uh, to um, to really bring in lasting change. It takes individuals in smaller communities working together and finding what works. And most often it's easier to just say, hey, we are going to give you X and to achieve this result and expect that those results are going to be achieved. Um, so for us, we are taking into account the complexity by bringing in humans, youth, that understand those complexity better than anybody else could um, overall to drive for that change. That's a great explanation. Um, I know uh, that you're in Uganda, you're also in Liberia, but you're called Roots Africa. So yes. I can only uh, surmise from your name that you have some big, hairy, audacious goals. What are those goals? 10 years from now, 20 years. Oh, from now. 10 years from now, um, we are a thriving organization that sustains itself, um, an organization that um, takes care of local and smallholder farmers end to end. So from the moment, from the seeds that they grow to the techniques that they grow in, to the markets that they sell in, we want to make sure that our change makers are supporting these farmers 
to not only uh, grow crops, but to sustainably and regeneratively grow those crops and have markets to sell those goods to. Um, and this should be a model that funds itself. And we will be um, an organization that even if we rely on uh, donations, we should be able to sustainably survive as an organization. I think Africa has the resources. I believe that if tapped and if utilized in the right manner, um, organizations like ours should be able to sustain themselves um, um, overall. So that's my big, hairy, audacious goal that would take quite a few steps to get to. Um, for now, it's one step at a time and eventually we'll get there. But I see you doing it. I, yeah. I so see you doing it. Um, so I guess the, one of the things I want to talk about is, is how we connected. Um, mm -hmm. So I was uh, with Rick and Dorita Waitley and probably, oh, 150 other people yeah. at a Leadership Idaho Agricultural Banquet. And I was seated at a table with some people that I knew, but you were right next to me. And we began to talk, and um, I lived in Africa when I was five years old, in Uganda, actually. And I told you, Cedric, if you ever take a group over, I really want to go. And so two years later, I think it was just two years later, no. I found myself at Entebbe International Airport uh, with you and the team. Um, I want to share. You're skipping. You're skipping a lot of parts uh, from. What am I skipping? From Dubai, like you're yeah. experiencing <laughs> Doha. Who will? Doha, Doha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that was a that was a really memorable trip. And if people want to find out about the other parts, they can read it on my website. Um, but I would like to show a uh, a video that uh, Jay at Be More Pro Productions uh, produced of our trip. I think it's it will provide a really good um, uh, introduction to uh, our friends here. Today, April 28th, was our first official day uh, visiting our stakeholders in Uganda. We went to two main communities. We went to Chichedede and we went to Bukalasa. Chichedede is one of the communities where we uh, have farmers whom we've been supporting since 2020. Bukalasa is one of our main you know, institutions that we work, well, that we partner with and they have one of our innovative student clubs and we were able to experience that today. First with Chitelede. Chitelede has um, a project that is a soybeans pilot that started in this year. We've, able, we've been able to learn quite a few lessons from that project. We saw their projects, we saw the, the, the pilot projects. We visited with the farmer co-op that they've established and talked about various ways in which we can work together. Jay, so, so my reflection for today, um, I have had the opportunity to work with and through Roots for, I, we're going on to maybe going on four years, but anyhow, I saw students today, the, the joy of the day was Roots has been connected. I think Bukalasa was one of the initial schools, colleges that Roots partnered with. And so 
I have I, I saw kids and we, we've only because we started in 2020 uh, the, the year of COVID everything was via Zoom so my opportunity to, to work and meet for instance Dennis who traveled with us all day or Alan Peter who emceed most of our day um, all was on and through Zoom and so I've only seen them through a, a computer screen or you know and listened to them through the electronics of, of amplification and so the joy of today was being able to see them eyeball to eyeball talk with them give them a hug uh, see the fields they're shooting or sending me pictures of that we've been talking about, what that they've been planting. That was, for me, that was the oh wow, the over the top today, is, is literally being able to, to connect with with these folks. Uh, I, I, I'm a mentor, Dennis has been my mentee, so, but I've been, I've been connected with them through the classroom, through Zoom um, for three years, and today I get to meet him face to face. That, what a joy. Bukalasa, we met with the president of the institution, we met with some of our change makers that showed us some of the innovative projects that they're working on with, uh, in, in partnership with their institutions. Um, the highlights from today, first, is being able to show the work of these change makers and how amazing they are to the people that support us so that they can see for themselves. Um, when we were here last year, the one thing that I wanted to do was help people see what I was seeing because I felt like there was no way for me to really communicate this without getting the people here to come and see for themselves. So being able to show them how Alan Peter is amazing, how Morris is amazing, how Dennis is doing incredible things was one of my highlights. And uh, I had wondered when we came there and then I asked, what makes this village different than so many others? It seems to have been unusually successful. And perhaps it was just the the person we were talking with and his uh, the clear respect people had for him uh, clearly he spoke for them with one voice and uh, the attitude of truly cooperative selflessness all these people volunteering for the good of the community you know today was a wonderful day and um, I guess there's just a lot of things going on and that's there's a lot of emotions going on. There's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, as some of our colleagues said, reunions in real life, which are uh, wonderful. And I guess the highlight for me today was just the engagement with people, the engagement with the students. The second highlight was being able to interact with the farmers in Chitterede, despite the setbacks that they had with seeds for the soybeans project. They are still resilient. They are excited about what they would achieve, about what we would achieve together. The third thing that was really um, inspiring and high moment for me was just to see the impact that our students are having on their communities and around uh, their communities. Really looking forward to what tomorrow holds. Today was a great day, but I know tomorrow will be better. Wow. How does yeah. it make you feel to watch that? Yeah. I, I think um, I mostly, I've, well, in the past, I've watched it as an editor, right? Trying to figure out, like, okay, are we telling the, when Jay sent it, by the way, Jay is amazing. Huge shout out to him for uh, crafting that out. Um, when I look at it, I'm looking at it like, okay, is it conveying the right message? Is everything accurate? But to see it now um, in this setting, not playing it myself as somebody else playing it 
is different. I, I think I went into the moment and, and went through the emotions and overall. So thank you for sharing that. I, I think that's that's pretty cool to watch it from this perspective. It's different. It, it, it's a really accurate portrayal of just a couple of days. I mean, we did a lot more than that. We had a a um, an itinerary that was crammed full <laughs> and it was wonderful uh, but it does bring back all, all of the emotions uh, you cannot go and meet the people and and see the country and not have those emotions so thank you for thank you for that I was impressed with the work and with the people that are connected with Roots Africa we had in-country coordinators, uh, students, academicians, farmers, members of parliament, um, and other dignitaries. Uh, we learned about change makers and how the universities are planning to feed the world through the change makers and transform their country uh, and make money in the process. Yep. Yep. So, for example, we did a visit to Dennis Tibancana's village in the Kamuli district, and it really stands out to me. The things he's been able to do in his village and in that region with Roots Africa's help and the children that I met there. Um, we've talked a little bit about how you formed Roots and what it does, but I'd like to go now from the general to the specific and talk about Dennis's Bandera's Farmers uh, Network and Dennis himself. Yeah. Uh, where did you find them? Well, no, we <laughs> one step back. Where yeah. is the Kamuli district? Is how remote and rural is it? How poor are the people? What does life look like there? Yeah. So Kamuli is um, let me start with how I found Dennis because I okay. think that that would lead to Kamuli itself. I think um you get lucky um or blessed um sometimes um to find incredible people um along along this journey and dennis is definitely one of those um incredible people that when you meet him you just understand why like words cannot put it um, how incredibly young man is um overall and um we started in dennis's institution um called uh, bukalasa agricultural college that was one of the first student club uh, that we established um, back then, we had a, a new president or somebody that started the club, and then he graduated, and um, that's always a challenging time for us because finding the next leader that could hold the club together is never easy. Then Dennis came up. Um, he is more so a person of action than talking. He doesn't talk too much, but he will get stuff done. Um, he executes at a very high level, takes pride in his work and uh, the impact that he has. Um, and he kept on telling me like, Hey, I am, th these are the things that I'm doing in my community. And, um, to myself, I kept on thinking, oh yeah, oh, that's, that's great. Um, even for me, um, because that was the first time that I, I've been to Uganda quite a few times, but as you know, Kamuli is pretty far. It's in the corners of Uganda and it's a long drive, um, to get into Kamuli. Um, it's a remote village, um, that, if you see from the videos, um, you wouldn't understand some of the challenges that the farmers are facing, that the communities are facing, um, especially around teenage pregnancy, um, which is one of the things that Dennis is passionate about and would like to combat. And he knows that with economic opportunities, sending girls to school 
um, that is the main way to combat uh, teenage pregnancy in these communities. Well, and, and I think the region has the highest number of child brides as, as yes. well. Yep, yep, absolutely. So um, Kamuli is one of those communities that needed a Dennis. Um, it, 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 it's scary to think what that community would look like without Dennis in the picture. I'm sure he wouldn't want me to say this, but because he would not want to appear as a hero, but uh, that, it, it would be scary to see what the community would be without him um, in that picture um, overall. And he has, made, he has made a huge impact on not just himself, but the student club that he ran until he left, and then the group that he formed, the Bandera Farmers Network. And what he's doing with that group is uh, finding um, other change makers with the potential and the desire, because this is not this is not easy work. This is not fun work. This is not. It takes somebody that has that drive, that wants to do it, that wants to that cannot live with themselves, seeing their community struggling, to be able to do this. And that's not something that money can buy. Um, that's not something that you can teach. That's not something that you can motivate. It's just, it's an intrinsic drive that exists in some people, or maybe with people on the right track and the right cause um, to drive. And that's how lucky we were to find Dennis and his community and the work that he's doing there. Um, and, and the last thing that I'll add to this is, um, it's one thing to do it, it's like what he's doing while it's impacting the community, it's also helping other change makers to see what is possible. Um, because we can only dream as far as what we've seen possible around us. Um, if you've not seen somebody move from training three to four farmers to having a network of 600 to almost 1,000 farmers, you will not even believe that is possible. And Dennis is showcasing that to a lot of our change makers, and it's exciting for them to see. And I'm seeing a lot of other change makers that are like seeing Dennis and feeling motivated to be like, hey, did it with so little, maybe I can. And that to me is one of the biggest things that we would not be able to measure or capture how inspired others are, but it's going a long way to create that path and create that vision for other change makers to become Dennis's in their community. And um, if that's the only thing he achieved, he has paid his rent to be on this earth because it's it's huge uh, for us. So yeah, well, so that's it. I like what you said because really the purpose of this podcast is to inspire people uh, by showing them other people who are doing things. Uh, it's one thing for me to write about going to Africa or doing this or doing that, but if I don't follow it up with the stories of other people who step out and do, um, Maybe there are folks who wouldn't wouldn't uh, do it themselves. So uh, I hear what you're saying about Dennis. Um, I think that it was one of the most um, inspirational places that we visited, just to see the uh, different uh, products that they produce and all the different things that that they're doing. Um, we got off the bus because there was one village that is building a building, and I guess they wanted you and the group to lay a cornerstone. Yeah. And I was 
I was inspired by that visit. We got off the bus and um, it, it was like you say, I think with three and a half hours on a bus uh, all the way. Um, it was at about 3,500 feet of elevation. It was beautiful. Um, but the children that gathered around the bus to see who was on it, I imagine they don't see many buses, but they were in torn clothes, dirty clothes. They were barefoot, um, but they were so interested in this group of people. There were, were there 11 of us, 10 of us? Uh, and the kids followed us. One in particular, Nakamura, uh, latched onto me. And uh, despite the uh, hissing of her grandmother, uh, she would not go away. When we uh, walked off, she held my hand. When we stopped, she leaned back against my legs and she rubbed my arms. She was utterly winsome you know, just really connected with me heart to heart. And so as we got back on the bus, Dennis and I talked a little bit and he, he said, I saw how you were with the children that touched my heart. And I said, Dennis, what, you know, what will become of Nakamura, the child bride, the teenage pregnancy, what can be done for her? Um, I want to do something. And so he looked into the cost for her to go to school. She, I don't believe, had ever been to school. Her um, mother had had a very rough start. Her, she lives with her grandmother and her uh, four siblings. She was not in school, uh, but Dennis looked into it. We found out how to do it, not just for her, because I wanted the whole sibling group to go. So I now have pictures of them in school uniforms. Dennis tells me that they're excited they carry a backpack to school. They're very proud. They're they're learning. Um, and so my thought was, well, okay, we can give for a finite amount of time. At some point, we'll have to stop. What becomes of these children after we have to stop? And so uh, ask Dennis to figure out how to make it sustainable. And Dennis came up with, uh, we call it uh, goats for Kamuli kids. And um, we've bought five goats already. We're on our way to 50. Um, and we're trying to raise $5,500, uh, hopefully by the end of the year, but as long as it takes, uh, so that those kids' education will continue long after uh, the Mazungus go home. Um, what it did talk to me a little bit about that program because you're involved too. The money yeah. goes to you as a tax deductible donation through Roots Africa. Um, talk about a little bit what's the outcome? What's going to mean for those kids? So, one, the, the one thing that is critical is um, the fact that this builds in sustainability, right? Um, it, it, like, I, I will never stop somebody that says, Hey, I want to. Um, provide food for somebody that is hungry. Um, that I, by all means, please do. Um, but it's also important to think about what is the root cause um, of that. And those two things has to go hand in hand, right? Um, you could not come in and say, hey, um, this girl is not in school. His, her life is at risk. Um, but I will 
spend five months or a year and raise the money to help her in two years or three years. So that is the perfect plan. And she would survive now and all of those. Um, and, then, and, and everything will be okay. During that time, what happens to her, right? So you've taken the right approach in saying like, hey, what can I do right now to support this uh, young lady um, to make sure that she goes to school? And that could be said about food if, if somebody was hungry um, overall. Um, now, looking at the, the few things that you've done as well, you've also asked what is needed. And Dennis, knowing his community, knowing the challenges, understanding that goats would be the best option because one, they will not worry too much about feed. Um, they can take the goats out, they go graze, they come back, they lock them up, and, and, and they can grow utilizing the resources around. So the cost of rearing is not um, as expensive. Um, knowing that they may reproduce as well, um, creating more, more goods. Um, and then looking at it from a business perspective of saying like, hey, um, if we can have this number of goods from the milk that they produce and all of the other byproducts, we can build sustainability to ensure that we get these girls to go to school is the right approach um, um, overall. So that, that in and of itself is really exciting to think about like, yes, I could support you today, but can I build a legacy? Because this is what it is. Um, with the investment in education, you're building a legacy to say uh, for years to come, the knowledge gain, the challenges that they've adverted, um, it stands to that legacy. But to say, I'm putting a model down that can sustain itself, and if done right, and if sustained, can ensure that every girl in Kamuli goes to school. It is a critical piece um, that I think is, is, is it's going to create a, a longer lasting impact in those communities. So I'm not sure if I answered your question, but those were just my thoughts around the approach you've taken from when you met the little girl to not thinking about, hey, I'm just supporting this little girl so that she's the golden child in the family. Right. Um, um, but I'm supporting the whole family. Oh, I'm not supporting just the whole family. I want to support most of the girls. Well, I'm not supporting most of the girls. I hope this impacts all the girls. Um, if everybody took that model um, overall, um, that would be extremely helpful. And not to bash anybody that, I, I think anybody that chooses to give, if you are supporting that one girl, um, that's enough for now. But there is more that could be done to make sure that those families can sustain themselves um, without you being there every time to support them. Um, so those are my thoughts around. Um, the support approach you've taken. I think the the really great thing about the goats for kids is that it doesn't just support girls; it supports yeah. boys too. Because boys are the other half of the equation because uh, they're involved in all those other social issues. And so it seems to me that when you give them a purpose and you show them the way to um, a better future that they behave differently. And so hopefully yeah. it has the impact on long-term on all yeah. the residents. Yeah, and actually interesting enough, there is actual data that over the years, a lot of programs have turned towards girls and neglected boys, hmm. and that is having a detrimental impact as well. So funny enough, 10 years ago, we were worried like, oh, only boys are participating in programs. 
Um, but then we've neglected a lot of those boys and they've been left behind and now they need to catch up. But that being said, in education overall, there's a huge gap uh, overall of girls not being able to afford or be given the opportunity to go to school. So the, the gap is incredible. Uh, finding girls that are going to school, getting an education, or even when you find them, the responsibilities that they have is a lot more than what the guy would have while going to school. So um, just wanted to bring that complexity into the equation. Never lack of. Yeah, that's really important. And, and we haven't really talked about the challenges of working in Uganda. And um, there are a number of them. Um, any that you care to, to add about? I think one thing that when you were talking about uh, visiting that community, I it took me back to the story that I talked about um, about what hunger will make you do. Uh, um, so when we got there, we had a Karen, uh, one of our uh, team members. He was distributing. She was distributing candy to the kids. Yes. And so the kids were smart enough to turn around and come back in there again because Karen will not recognize their faces and they'll take like four, mm -hmm. four candies or three candies and all of those. And um, normally you get upset at that, like, oh, why are you stealing? Why are you taking this candy? Um, and all of those. And, and then you contrast that. We just had Halloween here and these kids were careless, yes. right? Uh, we have a basket of candy out here and the kids will just come and take one. Some of them, we, of course, you have some that will come and take the whole basket, but majority will come in and take two or three and they will not take the whole basket. Um, but that just goes to show you the difference, right? They don't get to see candy every day. Uh, not that it's not there, but they don't get to have the opportunity to get it distributed. So when they see an opportunity to have candy, they want to get as much as possible because it's not always there. So that scarcity mindset, that lack mindset, that hunger mindset is something that you don't give up on, mm -hmm. you find ways to walk around. And um, and I'm not talking, it's no longer about the kids, right? It's about the adults, it's about the politicians, it's about um, the, the communities that you work with. Um, you have to find ways in which you build transparency in the process. You have to find ways in which you build accountability in the process and um, ways in which you build trust in the process. Um, is never going to be an, an easy path um, overall, but you, you figure out those ways. And one of the things that we do is our change makers, for example, will have a dentist who would verify the work that other change makers are doing. Um, we have their peer mentors that will verify. When we go on the ground, we also do our best. We cannot visit every change maker, but we try to see some of their communities, some of their student clubs to validate that what they said they're doing, they're actually doing it. And the various tools that we put in place to build that, but I have seen people that are saying, hey, I cannot work in Africa because it's corrupt. Oh, you cannot trust anyone. I, I, I take it more so from the perspective of, no, they're just hungry. No, there is scarcity. No, they are poor. It's bringing out the worst in them. Mm -hmm. um, as somebody that wants to do good, you have to overlook those and figure out ways in which you build transparency, you build accountability, and you build trust in that process. So that's one of the challenges, and that's how we're trying to tackle it. I think that's really astute. When I came away, if I had to 
characterize the Ugandans in in any sense. It's hard to do in just one word, but uh, a mindset of scarcity, I think, from uh, the haves to the have-nots yeah. is pretty common. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I am really amazed at all the things that you're doing, uh, Cedric. I am excited to see what's next. Uh, we haven't talked about Liberia. I'm sure there's something similar going on there. But I want to know what is next for Roots Africa. That is next. So right now we've kicked up our Changemaker program. Um, so we just wrapped up our fundraising campaign um, overall. And we've started applications for the Changemaker program. Um, we are pushing our Changemakers to work as teams this year rather than individuals. And we're looking for mentors as well, uh, mentors that would support these change makers um, to achieve the goals that they have set. Um, we're also planning a trip next year. Let me let me ask you about the mentors first. Did yeah. describe a mentor. Does it have to be a farmer? Not necessarily. We need. Uh, we it's helpful if it's a farmer, um, but we need professionals, people that can look at the project plan and give feedback. People that can um, communicate with a change maker and encourage them and show them that they're doing something important. People that can report back to us and say, hey, these are the challenges. Because um, it, it, we would find somebody that would have the solution to a challenge that a change maker is facing. So what we need is somebody that is encouraging them, making them comfortable to share those challenges so that they can either address it or connect them to somebody in their network who can address it or connect them to us. So we are looking for a professional that can review their project plan, encourage them, support them, make them accountable uh, to the results that they have uh, set. Um, one of the big requirements is just having the time and the patience to do that. What, what kind of time commitment is it? About 15 hours a month, right? Um, you would want to look at their, their project plans and say, hey, um, these are the things that you, these are the areas where, oh, maybe you are too ambitious or you are not as ambitious enough. Um, you want to approve their budget, they'll create a budget of what they plan to do, how they'll utilize the funds that they have. Um, you want to look at that and approve it. And then you want to attend a monthly session. Every month you have to just meet with them and say, hey, uh, what, how is your project going? How can I be helpful? And then there'll be a few sessions with us where we would um, address questions and then just um, train where needed um, in areas where we feel like, hey, there may be a gap. So that's the time commitment that we are looking for in a mentor. What type of projects did they do last year, for example? Um, a diverse group of projects. Um, you know, most often we think, oh, um, it has to be a specific prop. But the way we look at it is, it has to be what the community need and what the change maker skill sets are. Um, so we have projects around value addition. So how do you take corn and make it into multiple other products? One, to preserve it, two, to find a better market or to get a better price uh, for the product. Others would focus on like gardens. How do I cultivate in the right uh, manner to have the right yield? Um, others focus on how do I find markets for my farmers so that they can sell their goods. So it, it's different and is that intersection between their skill set and what their community needs. One of the most brilliant projects I think that we saw was um, was growing maggots to consume oh, yeah. to consume garbage. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. How many applications do you get for the program a year, and how many are accepted? 
So we get over 120 or 50, and we don't promote, right? We don't, our goal is not to get a lot. Um, because the way we would select our change makers are from the student clubs. Mm -hmm. So our students, sometimes we would put it out a little bit to get some like really unique individuals. Like we have these um, change maker growing mushrooms. Um, she's pretty, we, yeah, we visited her farm actually. So we put it out to gain, to get some of those extraordinary individuals, but mostly just internal. And we'll get about 120 to 130 on average. And then we'll select about 70 um, that will go into the program. And then out of that, probably about 10 will drop off. And because it's not an easy program, again, it's, it's, it's people committed to making a difference. And uh, it has to be really um, altruistic. Um, and most often, if you come in expecting like, oh, I'm about to make bang, uh, it would not be the program for you. So about 10 people will drop off, will left, will be left with about 60 that goes out and really change their communities. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I'll, I cut you off when you were starting to talk about the trip. And so yes. tell us about that. So um, this year we are planning another trip. Um, we, funny enough, we are doing two trips in one. So if you choose to join us, um, you can either do Liberia or Uganda, or you could do both. Um, but if you do both, that would be intense. <laughs> <I'm just saying. laughs> yeah. So I would highly recommend um, folks to just choose one. Um, but as a core team, we will be traveling to both countries around the same time. And um, you saw in the video um, about a brief, about a few days that we spend in the country. It's, um, it's more than just exploring, it's really building, nurturing connections with incredible people and just sharing our common humanity um, overall. So um, the trip is scheduled for late April, early May um, overall. So, and, and we can attach a flyer if you need one. Yeah. That would be great. I will certainly pass it out. You know, the one person that we have not talked about when you said connections uh, is Ellie Kasiri. Uh, and I would like you to talk a little bit about our Ellie. Yeah, <laughs> Ellie is a dear friend. He's a brother. He's a family member. Um, the one thing that Terry and I will agree is how he keeps his cool under stressful situation. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and and sometimes it's almost like elephants. Elephants. Yeah, yeah. Oh, except yeah. elephants. That's that's the only time when he loses his cool. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> We, um, I, I, I've worked early for a while beyond Roots Africa. We worked when I was in an organization called the Africa Youth Movement. And um, Ellie is uh, um, somebody that cares a lot about his country. Um, he's a human rights activist. He is a lawyer to be. He's almost in his final year to becoming a lawyer. And um, he's one of the key reasons why we are successful in Uganda. I, actually, the reason why we are successful in Uganda. He's incredible at building long-lasting and trusting relationship. If you need anything done in Uganda in a clear, coincides manner, Ellie is your guy. Um, he doesn't cut corners. He's trustworthy. Um, he executes at a high level. I could go all day about this guy. Um, I think most often you sit and you say, hey, there are a few people that without them, Roots Africa wouldn't be where it is today. 
I would say without him, Rutaka may not be existing today. Um, that's that's how far um, uh, Eli and I go. And um, he's just one of those people that I know. I know Perry, you've been supporting him, and and I and I do hope that one day we also have a campaign for him because human rights is a huge, yes. huge, huge challenge in um, Uganda, and he's one of those front bearers of the flag and still keeping his head high and still striving to um, address issues that most often you will not hear about because you shouldn't, um, if not people's lives are in, at risk. But um, he's one of those unsung heroes that I'm grateful and blessed to have in my life. And I'm sure we all are as well. Well, I, I know that both he and Dennis shared a, um, a difficult childhood themselves. And if there's anything that I came away from Uganda and that trip, it's two sons, Dennis and yeah. Ellie. And yeah. uh, I, you know, I think it's worth the trip just to get to know the people of Uganda and certainly them. Uh, so what can our listeners do to help? So I think the first thing is just supporting these goats for Kamuli. Um, I, I think that that will go a long way. Um, it, it's, for me, the way I, I, I term people like you and people that will support this campaign is those that I do. When you do it and you're not expecting, like there's so many things that you could have done with your resources, but just with what you've seen and what you've heard today, if you choose to be like, hey, I may never meet these people, right? That's an incredible act of kindness. It's one thing to create to have Christmas gift for your relative because you know they're going to reach out and say thank you. Dennis would reach out and say thank you. Mm. But you this you never meet these girls. You, you may never have the experience to meet the young lady that was holding uh, Terry's hand. But if you could um, see it in your heart to say, hey, I may never meet you, but from what I've heard, the videos that I've seen, the testimony that I've heard, I would choose to support you. That is another level of kindness. That's another level of generosity. That, that is very uncommon. Um, and if anyone could find it in their heart to say, hey, yes, I may never meet you. Yes, I may never emotionally connect to you like the others have, but I choose to support you because I know Terry or because I've heard these stories today or because I've seen Dennis. Um, that's another level of kindness. And I, I really hope that folks can um, hear this and say, yes, I choose to support you because this will be a legacy. This will leave a lasting impact for years to come um, in Uganda and around the world. So that's, that's the first thing on the list. The second thing is join us on the trip. Mm -hmm. My pride is showcasing um, the work that we do, showcasing the people that you get to meet, showcasing the beauty of Uganda. Um, as uh, Terry will tell you, um, if you want to get chased by elephants, no, I'm just kidding. There, no elephant will chase you. <laughs> yeah, but that was just, that just happened. <laughs> so that was not part of the agenda that get chased by elephant, but, um, that those are all part of the adventure, but the highlight is really seeing the impact and connecting to people. And the last thing will be mentors. If you are interested or would have questions, please reach out. We'll be happy to have you and answer any questions you have. So. Those I want to just cut back to the trip just really quickly. Um, there may be some people who have been following the news and who are concerned about the violence, the potential for terrorism, et cetera. Um, I want to give a testimony that uh, Dennis and Ellie and Cedric 
even our bus driver took the charge to protect us very seriously. We did not go to areas uh, that would be likely to experience an attack. We were, uh, in fact, we were protected a little bit too much. We couldn't go to a market by ourselves. We could, you know, because we weren't there to do that. We were there to yeah. go out to the villages and meet the farmers and the students. And uh, so if there are people who are interested in going, but maybe are a little bit concerned about um, the the climate uh, from that standpoint, I think uh, I think these guys keep you very safe. They're very in touch with what's going on. Uh, we we went through a few police roadblocks and uh, they handled that with great aplomb and uh, we were always safe. Uh, we didn't lose anything uh, and we stayed in really nice places. Uh, they weren't always four star, but they were always yeah. nice. Uh, and yeah. these guys love to eat. They know yes. the best places to get street food and you know the bus pulls over regularly um mm -hmm. so i cannot recommend a trip uh, more highly than a roots africa trip to uganda thank you Barry. yes well there can just be no doubt mm -hmm. that you fit the profile to a t of someone who decided to seize the day to make things happen for the people of africa uh and cedric you inspire me I think you'll inspire our listeners today. You are doing it. And yeah. I'm so proud of you. Uh, Carpe diem. Carpe diem, indeed. Yeah. Thank you for coming on with us today. And um, let's stay in touch. Absolutely. You cannot get rid of me at this point. Let's <laughs> be <you> connected. <laughs> Come to Idaho soon. I, I, I plan to. Actually, I will be... Um, I'm talking to Kendra. I think we have some things cooking. So I will be in Idaho at some oh, point. Oh, good. Okay. Well, we'll I think, use... yep, 2024. We'll use this for recruitment. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, Cedric. Well, so okay. nice to visit with you. I miss you lots. Same here. Same here. Thank you, Terry. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye. Hey, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. I am always amazed at the caliber of, of people and things that they do because they know that they only have a limited amount of time to do those things and they put their whole heart into that. Thanks for joining me at www.terrymurison.com. Join me next time when I will again feature somebody incredible. And don't forget, please write me a line and tell me how you have been inspired, if you have been, uh, and what you're doing, because I'm always looking for good stories for the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me, and I will see you next month.